I'm delighted to welcome to the show today um, J David Stone and uh, David is from Embodied Soul Awakening. Welcome David. Thank you so much Elaine. We've danced around each other on Facebook for some time but we've never actually had a conversation so it's lovely to speak to to you in person. Yes great to meet you at last. So Embodied Soul Awakening is a bit of a mouthful um, let's, let, let's break it down. I know on your website you have three specific words which are clear, activate and embody. So can you give us a bit of background as to, to what those words mean and how you came to be uh, the founder of the embodiedsoulawakening.com website and um, procedure? Yes, well, in a nutshell, I guess I had a corporate background and I became ill and left it and went traveling. And during my travels, I had sort of many little um, experiences of connecting with what could only be considered to be the greater energy field that, that surrounds us and that we are made of. And these experiences were also coupled with some very negative experiences of all the negative phenomenon that were out there. And so I think that what I discovered was that it's all very well having awakenings, but it's from the core of who you are. You tend to get actually distorted by your awakenings and it becomes kind of an ego dance to seek outside of yourself this awakening business that seems to be a very large part of the new age <clears throat> and over the next 10 years i slowly put myself back together and started to learn about ancestral healing i started to look at my body and how you know looking at Eckhart Tolle's pain body i was often doing one thing but cognitively dissonant about doing it and believing that I wasn't actually partaking in a habit. So one of those would be sugar addiction. I had no idea how heavy my sugar addiction was. And I think once you've had an awakening experience where you literally touch a very heightened space, you will look for, I did look for other substances such as sugar or joining the new age, trying to get a high, trying to reach that kind of space again. And so, again, these are all habits and patterns that I see in the whole New Age industry. And so on my journey, I, I, I kind of knew that that was cheapening it and looking and seeking and constantly trying to raise my vibration and reach for this un, unreachable um, completion that was somewhere on a course that was somewhere in the jungles of Peru that you know would require me doing something or other <clears throat> and slowly but surely I think I just got broken by the discipline of my idealism I was so disciplined at being a spiritual person that it broke me it impoverished me my health started to fail and my relationships were not exactly high vibration shall we say i wasn't good at relationships and i think those are the three biggest shadows of what i would call an awakening is that we you know many people have awakenings or are on that path and they're seeking this happiness they're seeking this completion but there's a cognitive dissonance where really behind that that kind of program there's a deeper disconnection from that which isn't working and I think we've seen that in the expose of many yoga teachers, many healing teachers, you know, many celebrities, people of all industries, but particularly the healing industry, some of these horrific abuses of power and privilege and gifts. And so I moved away from London and, and went and trained as a gestalt psychotherapist, which enabled me to start to put myself back together and see that you needed a, a grounding in psychology and trauma and in the very moment of embodied um moment to moment synthesis between the mind the body and the spirit and how they were all intrinsically interwoven and so over a period of about 15 years 
until about a couple of years ago, I, I began to slowly embody myself until I guess um, I had another experience that opened me up from a much more grounded experience where I wasn't seeking anything. And when you feel that connection to all that is, but you, you're, you're grounded so that you're not seeking any sense of identity from an awakening, the awakening itself doesn't complete you, but it's your ability to use that energy, that power, that connection to bring healing into your relationships into your health and into your connections with um others um and obviously and your success and your purpose in life these these primary areas that we're all kind of hungering for seeking for and want a better life want to be healthy want to be happy and so that, that's really where embodied soul awakening was born it's it's really where i use the synthesis of these experiences and these trainings and a lot of the, I would have to say, a lot of the negative side has informed me much more than the kind of happy, clappy, kumbaya aspect of my uh, spiritual experiences that would have kind of kept me seeking pleasure and seeking highs rather than getting in the, the, the kind of the mud and facing the patterns, looking at the dynamics that create those patterns. And then using that, that connection to that higher power to come in and literally like the three acronyms of my website to clear. So once you start clearing that connection on a, a, a higher level, so on a quantum level, so it's like a stitching that goes through space and time through your DNA and through your ancestry into the other world where they, they are often hanging out in the lower astral and starting to dissolve that weave, that tapestry that makes you a kind of uh, a pawn in a game that you didn't know you were being played through. So you're playing out these habits of say, boom and bust in your business, maybe periodic health issues, maybe a certain type of sexual dynamic in your relationships that's unsatisfying, or a, a relational dynamic that leads to the breakdown of relationships or becoming very neutered or neutral in your relationship to the other gender or your preferred gender. And so what I discovered was in connecting the mind, the body and the spirit to the quantum field, as I cleared more and more of my patterns out, I naturally became more aware of this greater blueprint that creates us and it it's the blueprint that actually manifests the human body not the other way around and as i come to a close on, on answering the question um it's the the great forgetting that we're not just this human body acting out this life that we're actually a higher intelligence that has created the body and once we start to clear out that all these forgetting programs, these illness programs, these blocking programs, that filters that have been handed down through past lives and ancestral experiences that have never really evolved or moved on, we can then begin to take charge of our own blueprint. So there's a lot, a lot you said there, an awful lot you said there, and I've made no end of notes. Uh, which, <laughs> which word do I pick on? Which phrase do I pick on to ask you about it to, to delve deeper? Very interesting, David. So um, let, 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 let's go back a bit. Your, your corporate career, what was it that you did in corporate and, and why do you think it was that you burnt out? Right, yeah. Well, um, I trained as an industrial engineer initially with, with Michelin tires, and that gave me the most incredible grounding in how to be successful. It was the mechanics of, of noticing how um, efficiency works in a machine cycle, and you could apply that to any aspect of the business. So you could apply it to marketing, to finance, to admin, to sales. And so after two years in, in that, that position, I left to join marketing businesses and skyrocketed up to board level within about three years um, and found myself 
on the the senior management team of a an American Nasdaq company looking after UK and Europe um, the business development division, and at each stage of like passing through Michelin, passing through to being a senior manager within three to four years of graduation, I was empty on that that place that never got filled through the amount of money I was earning in bonuses and shares and pension schemes, the kudos of being perhaps in a, in a level of management that was 20 years my age peer group. And it was the kind of core wounds that were not being fed. And yet there was this total lack of awareness of that. There was this separation from understanding and being present in my body. So I, I began to experience a lot of psychic phenomena taking me over. Um, addictions, um, unhappiness, uh, growing mood swings. And I didn't have a clue what any of that was about. So the, the, the mood swings, psychic phenomena, um, uh, the e ego basically, isn't it? When you're, when you're going back to all this um, high, high salaries, um, high position, you know, you're a board member, you're, you're quite young, you said that, you know, within three or four years of um, graduating, you're on board, at board level in marketing. So yeah. you, you can see everywhere, can't you? You were one of these, what I call um, bright young things, who are mm -hmm. very clever, very motivated. And uh, when you're young, um, we, we know, I, I think many of us uh, identify with this, I, I, I most definitely do. You think, because we're we're kind of conditioned to believe that we have to have the biggest, the best, the fastest, mm. um, you know, that our egos don't know any different because we're constantly being fed through, through clever, clever marketing hype from wherever it comes from, that we need to have, you know, so many cars, so many fast cars, so many houses, you know, biggest salary and, and, and. But actually, it's not until we get older that we realise that none of that matters, does it? None of it matters a jot. It's what it's what the balance is in our life, what the, um, the mind-body-soul connection is um, that, that you've been talking about. So, so what was it that specifically that kind of made you sit up and, and realise that things actually weren't terribly uh, going that well? Well, it's the fact that I couldn't sit up, Elaine. <laughs> uh -huh. I developed a, an abscess as big as an orange. Oh, gosh, up, right. Up, okay. my, up my bum. Mm. And um, for a young guy to have it right, yeah. in that position was was very um well it was it was it was uh, devastating and so i had a number of surgeries and when i'd had the first surgery they they'd cut me open and a couple of weeks before i had the surgery i'd met a crystal healer and she said oh you've got the healing gift why don't you place if you ever have a, a problem uh place a, a crystal like stick against a lump this was actually this was a little bit well this is quite a while before the actual experience she says and send the lump away so a couple of weeks before my operation that's what i did and so when they cut me open all there was was water mm. and they said it was a medical first we'd never cut someone open with an abscess and just found pure water wow um but then obviously it wasn't addressing it at the quant in the quantum field at the root. It was kind of like almost like a spiritual, uh, topical healing. And it, it, it came back with a vengeance. And so in that period when it came back with a vengeance, I got the yellow pages open and found this reflexologist. And she came to see me and massaged my feet because intuitively I, I was looking for a healer. And it turned out she was a shaman. And she said, oh, this is a purification of your soul. This is a lot of the uh, karmic and ancestral energy trying to leave you through the abscess. And this was the first I'd ever heard of any of this stuff. And it, it opened my mind up and I didn't have a particularly supportive emotional um, uh, family that were able to offer me any um, backup to this this you know, the operation and the distress. So I, I started looking online. This was 2002, Elaine. So this is going back like 18 years before really there was much of a, a mind, body, spirit industry. And I found Canada's leading crystal healer at the time. 
and she you know with the, i was asking her like for a bit of advice and in the end she said why don't you just come and stay with me and i'll help you heal oh wow so i was kind of like the good thing about me in those days was i just follow my intuition on a whim and put all my money behind it because i had the money to do that and i was i was a little bit rash and had that kind of gambler streak and it, it worked in my favor to follow my intuition and gamble on it um, and that's something that's followed me all the way to now is to really get behind that intuition and she then said when i flew out to canada she then taught me how to connect with the spirit of the lake so that i could bring the purity and the purification of the energy of the lake into me to clear me out so that was a wonderful sort of uh, teacher to to meet and that she drove me eight hours to a native canadian american indian on his tribal land and we did a sweat lodge and i, I again i had one of the these most profound experiences of connecting with um the greater field of love and it, it i literally during the sweat lodge, it was about 18 hours long. I felt this surge of love come in and show me what was at the root cause of my abscess and clear it out of me. And I very much felt like literally my skin had become like a newborn baby. And, you know, I remember, I remember to this day, everybody in the sweat lodge was trying to touch my skin because like, oh, he's a newborn baby. You know, <laughs> it, it literally moved the abscess out of me quite miraculously. And it went, that day it went, um, because even though I'd had the surgery, the prognosis was it was going to come back every three months for the rest of my life. And I'd have to be cut open. So it was a very good thing. It actually disappeared after that experience. For the benefit of the listeners, David, can you explain what a sweat lodge is? Sure. A sweat lodge is like a tarpaulin tent that blocks out all air exchange. And... In the Native American tradition, they, they heat rocks up um, in an external fire all day. And those rocks become very hot. And those rocks are said to have the spirit of the ancestors and from the land in them, where the previous elders have conducted ceremony and sweats and other such ceremonies and lived on the land. And it's got the essence of the connection to their spiritual tradition in those stones. And so they bring those stones into a pit in the middle of the tarpaulin kind of tent, which is completely airlocked. And that, those stones heat the air up like um, a sauna. And it, it, it becomes impossibly hot. And the Native Americans use a tradition of the four directions. So there's a different kind of process for each of the four uh, directions of the compass the north east south and west traditions and so they call in different spirits and different energies and different practices for each of the four directions and so it was during those those callings in and those sharings we'd share different elements of our life that the, the this kind of i guess this abscess this you know on a, on a kind of quantum level it would have been a an accumulation of feelings energies patterns and emotions that were never resolved and that had become like a physical uh, disease in me that started i guess to crack with both the the pressure of the heat the 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 vacuum in the in the in the, the sweat lodge and also the amount of spiritually aware kind of higher awareness being focused on a blockage so it kind of pushes on the blockage, a bit like taking a plunger down a toilet, and it creates an air pressure on the U-bend to, to move the kind of blockage down the toilet and down the drain. Well, in the same way, the, the circumstances of a sweat would you know, create that pressure to expunge the, the blockage in, in, in the human vessel so that the accumulation of patterns, habits, emotions, dis-ease, are able to be eased out i guess and so it it dissolves what appears to be very physical but of course when you look at the atoms of the human body we're 99.99 percent space and so we really aren't solid at all and so a disease that can appear to be very solid is actually just you know a quantum phenomena just as much as our body as i was saying in the intro is a quantum phenomena that is really the the 
the manifest version of, of our intention as a, as a higher being. This is getting very sort of woo-woo for, for listeners who have not come across this before. Um, it, it's taken me a long time to um, work. I don't think it's when you, when you first start hearing about this stuff, you said yourself 18 years ago, um, yeah. you know, from 18 years to where you are now. Um, it's taken me a few years as well. And I have a friend, I've got many friends who are shamanic healers. And um, I've heard many stories of when they've been working with people who've had cancer. Um, one of my friends, um, she was working with a lady who had breast cancer and the lump, the, the, the tumour literally disappeared while she was working. So I do absolutely identify with what you're saying about your abscess and so on and so forth. But it's for, for, for people who've not been um, open or, or, or even heard about this kind of thing. It just sounds so, so out there, doesn't it? So for people who have maybe they're only just kind of hearing this, you know, now and um, bring us back to um, what you were talking about with Eckhart Tolle, um, the cognitive dissonance the, uh, and the gestalt, because that kind of has a bit of bit more uh, understanding and people can, can um, certainly um, Google, YouTube, whatever, any of this stuff we're talking about. So it's not, you know, we're not completely both bonkers. <laughs> Um, sure. but, the, the, but the gestalt training that you've had and, and um, uh, let, 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 let's let's kind of bring it back to a bit more um, ordinary understanding should we say for, for a lay person sure so when when I trained as a gestalt psychotherapist gestalt was a type of psychotherapy that was developed in the 60s that ran in counter I guess complete contrary polarity to psychoanalysis which was the only type of psychotherapy at the time where you'd lie on a couch and someone would analyze you and a, a chap called Fritz Perls and a couple of his colleagues um, in the hotbed of Esalen in the 60s like an American personal growth retreat developed um, gestalt psychotherapy which was very much about getting into the body so rather than analyzing someone's emotions, they would look at how those emotions were embodied within somebody, how someone with mental health problems, neuroses would show up from a, not just a kind of analytical mind-based place of observing and analyzing that person, but they would literally observe how that person showed up physically with uh, mental issues, with physical issues, and engage with that person more as an equal rather than as someone they couldn't look at while they were lying on the couch. So it, it, it really did bring in the whole era of what we now understand as counselling and psychotherapy. There's actually very few Freudian analysts left. And what happened was Fritz Perls created such a big swing of the pendulum that now everything you see is, is, is as a result of that kind of maverick way of opposing the, the the status quo of what everybody understood was psychotherapy and so I guess what I've just talked about will in time in a similar way it's similar to what Fritz Perls did to psychotherapy in the 60s and so Carl Rogers came down in the middle we had Fritz Perls on the, the extreme and Carl Rogers came down right in the middle which is very person-centered so a lot of the psychotherapy and the coaching and the counseling we know today is actually Rogerian after Carl Rogers who had a very person-centered approach. But what was beautiful about Fritz Perls and to some extent Carl Rogers and the Rogerian approach is that Fritz Perls believed that we are inherently capable of coming back into equilibrium. We are an, a, an aspect of nature, just like an animal tends to know how to nurse itself back to health intuitively through the herbs, Oh, the, the, the plants, it knows what to eat when it's sick. Um, um, the diet it has, the, the, the sort of behaviours it has. Animals, when you look at the natural kingdom and you look at nature, nature knows how to be in harmony with itself. And so as human beings, as part of the natural kingdom, there, there's a central tenet that we inherently do know how to come back into equilibrium. And so as a gestalt psychotherapist, you're, you're really partnering the client to find that path 
that they inherently are programmed with to find equilibrium. When you look at, say, uh, some of the things like Tai Chi and Qigong, the ancient Taoist health practices that came out of China, they are actually from watching animals preen and uh, nurture themselves. They're often watched, they're all based on animal forms. And when humans practice those animal forms that Tai Chi and Qigong are, are based upon, it brings you back to health, which is why Tai Chi and Qigong work, because they're literally looking at the mechanics of the natural kingdom and how we as humans have kind of forgotten how to come back to equilibrium without necessarily the pharmaceuticals or even the therapy and how innately the, the kind of animalistic part of us knows well-being. It knows inherently how to find the therapist, the, the, uh, the right remedies, the right pharmaceuticals that we usually give away. We usually bypass that to the Freudian analyst or the doctor or the surgeon. And, you know, in some cases that's, that's very needed. But what, what I find incredibly empowering is that it makes you responsible for your well-being, for your life, for your mental health, that nobody can kind of give you ultimately a magic pill to make it go away. That that agency of responsibility is yours. And once you own that agency, it opens up so much potential to partner with the medical profession with psychotherapists to really make that healing work. And so the Gestalt very much centers around um, finding out the missing components. Because what Gestalt means is the whole is, is the kind of com composition of all the parts and then some. And that's what makes up a Gestalt. It's the completion of all the parts that create something greater. Than itself and so as human beings we're constantly looking for that thing that's going to complete us whether it's love success money whether it's um, uh, something that we're grieving that's going to fill that hole of grief whether it's elation so we've got depression because we don't know how to reconnect to our joy so there's something missing and so in the theory of gestalt is that we're constantly looking to find that missing piece so we can complete the gestalt and when we complete the gestalt we kind of reclaim the energy that was invested in the pattern that's kind of still playing itself out and in the pain body that Eckhart Tolle talks about it kind of programs in the loop we keep recreating the same loop the same emotional patterns the same addictions because we're actually searching for that missing piece that's going to make us come back to equilibrium to harmony but because of the nature of the pain body it's kind of doing it in a wonky way so if we were traumatized early in life or we were given a habit that wasn't necessarily the best habit or behavioral trait by a parent or an ancestor we'll keep on trying to complete that gestalt in a little bit of a wonky way so we get wonky results and then those wonky results kind of pile on each other and create more and more dysfunction and so gestalt psychotherapy is the disentangling of those gestalts unpacking them and looking where the missing pieces are looking at the embodiment aspect of that and bringing that back into the awareness from the place of agency from the place of being responsible that we have to wake up to these loops these patterns where we're having wonky wonky wheels that don't quite rotate nice and smoothly and then find the places where we can bang those wheels back into place and complete the gestalt it thus gives us all the energy back that was invested in trying to loop over and over again that can eventually drain us create diseases create dysfunctions create sickness and so through that unraveling that tracing back it gave me a great grounding in looking at people from a psychodynamic way and some of the woo woo that you refer to is part of what was wertheimer's field theory so they were looking they were basically connecting in some of the um quantum physics that Einstein was looking at and some of his peers 
they wove this looping this constantly looking at the wheel because some of it went through society it went down through say a holocaust survivor still behaving their children having the same sleeping difficulties that the grandparents and great-grandparents had from the holocaust <clears throat> or people with say tuberculosis up a few generations might develop some of the kind of mental symptoms of tuberculosis some of the fears and so they started to see these transgenerational loops that could sometimes be lifted when we became very aware of the patterns um, that underpin them and so you know people would perhaps go for giving up smoking um, and then find out they were actually really overwrought with fear about say having their homes kicked in and that fear of having their you know their windows smashed and their businesses taken over might have been very kind of idiosyncratically there in their field but didn't actually belong to them but they were still trying to fix that idiosyncrasy that loop as if it was theirs because it kind of passed through in the in the the transgenerational dna so to speak this is this is fascinating absolutely fascinating and it's the best uh, explanation i've heard um about the gestalt psychotherapy that's brilliant david thank you and certainly resonates with with my experience of mentoring people through cancer um towards recovery or or certainly living a lot better with it and what you said really resonated with me about responsibility and balance and intuition so many of us don't listen to our intuition and it's always right isn't it how many times do we go oh i wish i'd done this and that i felt this i thought that whatever your intuition usually when it's there to help guide us and we tend to overthink things don't we we tend to uh, put logic into an equation which actually doesn't require it we need to be more feeling and more um open to uh, taking responsibility and and living life in balance because without the balance everything goes wonky and i love your your description it's you know wonky wellness what what good is that to anybody but it be most people live with it day to day this sort of wonky vision of what what um, they should or shouldn't be doing and as a result their patterns of behavior um, end up wonky and it's you know it's a it's a wonky wonky life isn't it <laughs> well it is because you can get that wonkiness in, in your health in your success in your relationships because you're you've got a wonky wheel mm. and so like you said it's, it's combining feeling with intuition but also with like that training i had at michelin tires where you track the um, workflow back to see where the corruption was in the workflow was it a block what type of blockage because ultimately every engineering problem is a blockage and so when you look at someone's life it's like well where's the blockage where is the wonky wheel where is the facet that's out of their awareness at the moment that if if they are truly have the conviction that they are the change agent whether they you know whether they need chemotherapy it's not we're not negating the medical industry or we're not negating say taking antidepressants but what we're saying is that there's there's an agency that you could be responsible for and that often it goes much deeper than just popping a pill that the with the majority of issues there's this opportunity to track a problem and as you embody as you breathe into your physical body it generates a much more logical awareness than like you said the woo-woo spiritual stuff that's really going way out the body and this embodied intuition that comes both grounded in logic because you're you're literally looking at the mechanics of your life like say when a plane is blown up they would get the wreckage of the plane they would lay it all out in a big hangar and then where they see the blast area they could determine why the plane blew up so if it was a bomb it might be coming from the luggage but if it was an engine issue and a mechanical issue would be coming from the the propeller and so it's a bit like that with our problems how often do we lay the wreckage out and ruthlessly like an engineer with no emotional kind of attachment go through the components of how we live our life and then start to create a fix through our personal ability to be the change agency of that fix 
a look at the habits, health habits, relationship habits, uh, financial habits that we have that might be contributing towards that dysfunction or that explosion that floors us or, or even blows our life up, such as an illness or such as a disaster that would then bring us to therapy or bring us to a healer or bring us to looking for answers, I guess. Absolutely. The taking responsibility bit for me is absolutely huge. And I'm finding that fewer and fewer people are taking responsibility. They're just expecting, uh, you know, to pop a pill. Ten years ago plus, I used to run cardiovascular health clinics. And uh, within three months, um, people who came to see me um, were off of medication by their choice. Obviously, I would never say to anybody, you know, you should stop taking medication. Um, and obviously, you know, they need to do things in, in relation um, to what's right for them and in conjunction with their, with their medical advisors, because I'm not a medical practitioner. However, um, every single one of them, we had a 100% result wow. um, that they came off medication. Some of them, um, they, they chose to do that literally overnight and, and they've never looked back. However, most people, um, and many people rather, um, said to me, well, why would, I, why would I want you to give me a test when um, if I have a heart attack or a stroke, the National Health Service can fix me? Um, to, and and I used to be, it, it, it used to really worry me, upset me, anger me, all these emotions, because to me, nobody, you know, the, the person wasn't taking responsibility for their own health and well-being. And we can do this in an integrative fashion, regardless of what health condition or mental condition people are talking about we're not talking you know do this or do that we're talking about cherry picking what's right for the individual and the only yeah. person who will know what's right for the individual is the individual themselves no doctor no health practitioner no no healer you know can, can say what's right what's wrong all we can do is guide provide uh, inf information and education for people to make their own informed decisions and that's terrifying though isn't it that's absolutely terrifying for a lot of people until they've come to terms with that yes. resistance um, yeah. in in gestalt the guy there was a guy called arnold bezer and he called it the um paradoxical theory of change and it's that exact moment that you're describing with your heart patients that they go oh well you know can you give me a pill and come the nhs fix this or you know someone comes to therapy and go fix me and it's that moment when they keep bringing the scenarios to therapy, like, oh, my God, um, my partner's just cheated on me. And then, you know, six months later, oh, my new girlfriend's just cheated on me. And then a year later, oh, my God, my new partner's just cheated on me. And they get this perennial pattern. And then you, you go through what Fritz Perls used to call the blue baby phase, where you start to withdraw the support that would collude with that pattern and that would keep it running over and over again over the years. And so what starts to happen is they start to kind of choke like the blue they call it the blue baby syndrome and so that person can't use you to support their kind of can't collude with you to keep them stuck in a habit that isn't supporting their well-being they can't literally use your energy and use your support to maintain their dysfunction and so it forces them to find their own resources and to learn, like the baby learns to breathe, it, it opens its lungs and then it brings in the oxygen. And in the same way, Beza coined it the paradoxical theory of change and he wrote a whole book on it, which was in summation, it was basically saying, you get so fed up of your own shit that you decide to actually change. It's like when it's got above your mouth and it's coming down your throat and it's coming into your eyes and above your head and you're literally drowning in it. It's that moment where you go, holy, you know, holy schmoly, I am actually, I can actually make a change here. It's not my therapist. It's not the medication. It's not the NHS. It's ultimately my responsibility. And this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make this change. And it literally kind of brings the person's identity out of looking for codependent kind of parent figures to be fully like birthed into their own empowerment, their own kind of sense it's literally like a burning of the self into the body that identifies that this is me this is my life and i am fully responsible for it no one's going to kind of do it for me 
that's absolutely spot on david and and, and it's scary how how few people recognize it in advance and it's only when the pain is so severe for people that they will start to wake up and smell the roses and for some people it's too little too late i see this frequently with cancer mentoring um, and people will just kind of carry on living the life they've been living and um, they get a cancer diagnosis and it's oh dear woe is me i'll go and get treatment and then alongside that they still carry on living the life that got them into the problem in the first place and it's only when you know they, they they get sent home by the national health service and really sorry we can't do anything for you that i get a call and for some people i've been able to help them well a lot of people i've been able to help them but for some it's it's turned into a you know a wonderful future life but for others it has been too little too late sadly but at least we've been able to yeah. give them some some comfort you know and live live life you know a little bit better but it's it, it just infuriates me so much because you know, I just want to give people a good shake, you know, take responsibility, use an integrative approach, do your own research, have a look out there, there's so much information and, um, you know, refer, be, be open to referrals by people who are trusted and um, with the, the health group that um, um, I have, Perfect Health Wellness Club on Facebook, it's full of over 3,000 members now, we've got doctors and nurses, we've got medics, um, wonderful healers and and all kinds of people and and lay people who've come through the outs you know the other side and they've used an integrative approach but they've all taken responsibility and yeah. uh, that is the key take responsibility live life in balance use an integrative approach whatever works for you follow your intuition it's none of it this is rocket science is it well this is it when i had that when i had that surgery in my bottom <laughs> going back to when i was 26 um I spoke to my surgeon and I had obviously had the two operations. I had the first one, they removed the cyst and it was just water. And the second one, it became a full blown abscess. And she said, look, we're going to just cut it out and you'll, you'll be rendered incontinent because we're going to cut out the, you know, the ring of muscle on your anus. So you basically, you'll need to wear an incontinence pants for the rest of your life. And I said, well, hang on a minute. That doesn't sound like a very good solution for me. She goes, but I'll make it go away. I said, well, that doesn't work for me. It might solve it from a kind of statistical point of view for you, but it doesn't solve it for me from a lifestyle point of view. So she goes, well, what else do you want to do? I said, well, what, else, what other options are there? She goes, well, there is this pioneering surgery that I can learn in the States and come back and you could be the first in the UK I could try it on. I said, oh, tell me more. And so I guess I kind of partnered with her and she then brought this technique back that put a thread through the abscess out through the fistula and then out through my butt cheek and back again so it was like ring a ring the roses and tied a tied a circle out of it and that enabled the abscess to kind of drain and that way together with the emotional psychological woo-woo work that i was doing with the shaman in canada it 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 worked like you say both collaboratively with the medical profession the the cutting edge of 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 surgery that they were practicing then the, this drainage technique so that the abscess could drain and then working with my you know mind body spirit um practices and i honestly feel the two together like say an intricative approach of working with surgeons with medication but also with yourself as the kind of change agency and and she said oh it only has a five to fifteen percent of of actually resolving so you don't really have a particularly good chance of this working. But, you know, I said, well, let's do it. You know, I had health insurance and um, I blew my budget on it, but it worked, you know. Brilliant. And that's a really good example. You, you literally are a walking, walking example of um, throwing everything at it. Because, and, and I think a lot of the, the aspect as well is the work that you must, that you were obviously doing alongside. And again, this is where I come back to personal responsibility. and. The emotional side of healing is absolutely phenomenal, which people underestimate. I get people that I see people who are living the, the when they get the wake up, you know, they, they have a, a horrible diagnosis, whether it's cancer or anything else that's, that's, that's nasty. Um, they then go, OK, well, um, I need to make a few changes here. Not everybody is prepared to make changes and, and that's their choice. Um, but when they do start to make changes, they then 
change their diet, change their lifestyle, but they forget to do the emotional work. And that is the, to me, that's one of the biggest parts. The easy bit is changing your lifestyle, changing your diet. If you can, you can be eating and living the most healthiest of lives. However, if your emotional state isn't in the right place, you will not heal, period. Yes, and I think there's a, there's a great saying called, you have to change to change. Yeah. And when you combine that with the emotional work, and I also did some training with inner child work, and it, it might, you might, so people might sort of be, oh, that sounds more woo-woo stuff. But actually coming to terms with some of the broken and fragmented and fractured places of, of kind of um, our development, where we've, we've got trauma bonding, where we've got attachment, trauma. We didn't perhaps complete the attachment process, Balby's attachment trauma with our caregiver. Um, it, these things like pre-verbal trauma that happen very imperceptibly, maybe there's a trauma going on between the mother and the father or a grandparent dies, or there's a bankruptcy, or there's a, a breakup in the marriage. When the child is in the first sort of three years of its life, its inner world is in, implicitly melded with its mother's. And it's only as it approaches the age of three that it begins to separate out its ego from its mother's ego to the extent that it, it therefore starts to venture and pull away and, and crawl away from mother and go exploring. And that's when the terrible twos start because that's the first time that the child is really trying to be its own person. And it's often trying to pull away from some of the dysfunctional habits that are in the parents that they haven't resolved, that are buried in the parents. And then the child's like screaming its head off because it's kind of, it's trying to pull away on a kind of deeper level from some of these patterns that are going to be imbued into it as part of the attachment trauma that the parent went through with their parents. And so these transgenerational patterns just keep getting imbued. And so because I've, I've done so many different trainings, I've done about five different trainings, two of them have been clinical. And together with the, the kind of what I would call the quantum and you've called it the woo-woo, it gives me this kind of broader spectrum picture of problems so that they can be solved faster. And I guess that's where Embodied Soul Awakening comes in because rather than waiting for 10 years in therapy, and like you say, maybe 10 years, people don't have 10 years to change their lives, right? It's too late. They've got already quite dangerous onset of imbalance in their system. Working with all aspects of the field, both you know the physical, the emotional, the embodied, the quantum, you can actually move patterns and move blockages and move diseases really a lot faster than just using one of those areas alone. How many generations would you say the ancestral stuff goes back, David? It's very specific to each person. Some people, um, it can often be like a grandparent that may have died and, and come in very close to them. So I had a client who I said, you've got the traits of your great auntie. I just, because I'm part, partially mediumistic as well, to add that into the mix, Elaine. Um, I sensed her great auntie around her. And I said, but you've got the habits of your great auntie. She goes, do you know what? I'm named after my great auntie. Ooh. And I just realized that when you take the name of somebody on, you're taking who is in your family. You're, you're on, it kind of, you know, it's a little bit of woo-woo proofing that you're taking on their traits, their diseases, their patterns, their habits. And you, you might even start to look like them as well. Oh, you look like auntie, you know, you look like so-and-so in your family. And, you know, holy, you know, holy, you know, sure, sure as light follows day, the, the, the programming that happens in a lineage comes through. And, you know, they, they've already got proofing and um, proper hardcore evidence about the, you know, symptoms of Holocaust survivors suddenly appearing in their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren without any sharing or connection or discussion or even sometimes not even meeting the grandparents while they were alive and the grandchildren suffering with the same emotional patterns so you know these things are incredible that the way that they they do unravel and and so returning to my very original point at the beginning of the call was that when we realize that we already are this 
this spark of God. The Bible talks about it. The you know the spiritual scriptures from India, from China, all the 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 original scriptures, and for the for the agnostics or the non non religious believers here, the more scientifically, you know, the Big Bang, the spark of creation. What I believe is that it's inherently perfect, and so what we're actually doing is letting go of layers that have accumulated through the ancestral line through our life if you don't want to believe in ancestors you, you just want to take full personal responsibility in this lifetime then you can look at those habits that you've accrued you might not know where they've come from but you've got them and then it's how are you going to look at how are you going to find a way of observing yourself where you can start to dissolve that those patterns those habits those, that baggage and that as that baggage and those patterns, those habits start to dissolve, it creates a radical feedback loop of personal responsibility, coming more into your body, becoming more present, becoming more mindful, um, becoming healthier, becoming um, having better habits, better ways of conducting your life and creating more harmony, creating more well-being, creating success that doesn't cost you your health or your happiness creating relationships that add to you and, and add to the other person without diminishing either. And so that's really my take on the whole thing. Absolutely fascinating and also fits with uh, another aspect of, of my work. I've, been, I've become an expert in the last 20 years of the DISC model of behavioural profiling, um, which draws on psychology and goes back to the days of Hippocrates, um, the famous doctor who hung around in about 400 BC. And he identified different patient types uh, by their their bile, their phlegm, their their blood, and the colours of their bodily fluids. Um, yes. Today, there's the, all sorts of modern methods and um, a way of looking at people's personalities. And again, in the work that I've, or the volunteering that I've been doing, looking after people with cancer, I can predict when I give talks. Um, well, used to give talks to. Uh, uh, audiences I can look around and I can tell those people who are going to be successful quicker on their recovery versus those people who are going to be more going to have to put more effort and they'll have a slower recovery if at all because of their personality style and how they approach how that how their behavior is and um, I talk about the ancestral stuff and can go back four or five generations so everything you've said completely resonates with me with the work that i've done over the last 20 30 years and it almost perfect sense and i hope it has done to our listeners as well so thank you so much for the explanations and um very clear um suggestions so bringing to a close now what would your guidance be to people who may be hearing this stuff you know for, for, for the very first time what what can people do particularly in the climate that we're currently living in to help themselves to take responsibility to to start, kind of start looking through through the wood and, and the trees etc to, to help themselves i would say find a form of mindful embodiment practice so the, one of the most immediate and direct ways you can do that is to go and spend an hour in nature that's 15, 20 minutes away from a road or civilization so that you can only hear nature. And the, the, the sounds of nature are at that frequency that enables the human body, the human mind, and the human emotions to begin that recalibration process of reminding you who you are beyond any sickness, any worry, and any accumulation of a pattern or a habit that fundamentally is not a reflection of the perfection that you are. And so I'd say begin by spending some t quality time in nature, learning to sequentially breathe. So a little tip I can give right now in 10 seconds would be to count your breath in and inhale through the nose and literally count to four, five or six seconds on the inhale through the nose. And then repeat the same number as you exhale through the mouth. 
And as you do that, count your spinal vertebra from the atlas, cervical one, C1. And then there's about, is it 38 bones in the spine or something like that? Count each vertebra down to your coccyx and your tailbone. Whilst if you're in nature, even better, but you could do it before you go to sleep, breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, getting into the discipline of counting, being out in nature. You could do it while stretching, whilst looking at through a recipe book, whilst planning your day. You could do it upon awakening before going to sleep. These are the rudimental uh, mechanics of beginning to get that presence within your body, with your mind, your awareness, and your physical expression of those through the way that you live your life, the way that you breathe, and starting to observe where you're not in your body, where you're not present to yourself, where you lose count, where you start to worry, and then getting the muscle of that discipline to pull yourself back into your number, back into your breath, back into counting the vertebra and tracking the vertebra. And you will be astonished at how much information is stored in your spine, in your body, in your breath that reveals what is going on in your life. That's really helpful, very simple for anybody to do. So I hope the listeners have, uh, will take that on board and, and start to do that. Breathing is an absolute phenomenal place to start. Very simple. And we all do it every day. So breathing techniques. Um, I have on other interviews with uh, different practitioners who specialise in breathing. I appreciate it's just one part of your many many resources and toolkit david but uh, breathing itself is just phenomenally helpful so thank you for that reminder so when we set up this um interview um it was going to be on the radio um i'm no longer associated with radio now because i've just my, my hands are too full with so many other exciting projects so i'm just we're just going straight to podcasts now rather than the radio and that means i'm not allowed to play the music that i asked you to suggest oh. So we, what we will do, um, I will ask you to um, explain why you chose the two songs, which I'll mention in a moment, because um, my PA, what she does, she pulls together the music and I have a playlist on YouTube. There's nearly 200 songs there of the most amazing selection that my guests have chosen. And also um, by hearing why people have chosen songs, it's actually quite informative um, and can be very inspiring for listeners. So. You've chosen Black Eyed Peas, I Got a Feeling, and Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones. So why did you choose those songs, David? Well, I chose Paint It Black um, because quite often in my life, it's been the dark side that's been actually my teacher. And I noticed there's a lot of people who are afraid of talking about anything negative and facing negative things and looking at them and actually breaking them down. and there's actually a lot of power that we've trapped in the negative that we can claim back. And our psyche is both full of light and dark. And when we stop being in judgment about evil and good, and we just start seeing them both as necessary forces that balance each other out, um, once and all, without the judgments, we can reclaim more of our wholeness. So that's painted black. And then I got a feeling by the Black Eyed Peas, that's very much, I would say, when I connect to that essence that is, I talked about in my woo-woo part of the interview, whereby there's a kind of force within us that is always well, it's always abundant, it's always balanced, it's always connected to all that is in the world, whether you're a, you know, a religious, whether you're spiritual, whether you're a non-believer. There is a connection to a power that really is eternal, boundless. And I think that was my very early experience in my life that enabled me to believe that I was going to cure my abscess. I've actually cured a, a kind of a back condition that was going to put me in a wheelchair, as well as serious IBS as well. So I've had a lot to deal with. And I guess it's knowing that 
I am ultimately that spark. And so I've got a feeling it's a very happy, uplifting song that reminds me of that joyous place that transcends problems, transcends all the hardships and the issues, and that reminds me that above and beyond everything that's out there is this connection to this place. And I guess my life's work has been bringing that place, not to a, from a woo-woo place out in the never-never-land of new age kind of flakiness, but actually embodying it, so being solid with it and living with that as my guiding light and, and teaching my clients through the breath work to find that joy that, that just burns eternal and guides them into more wholesome lives. Uh, wonderful it's one of my favorite songs and when I was in the radio studio I often used to play it I got a feeling by Black Eyed Peas it's really uplifting and it's um yeah listen to our intuition and, and, and go with it fantastic so how do people contact you David what's the best website email address for you sure oh thank you yes um my website is embodied e-m-b-o-d-i-e-d soul s-o-u-l awakening i-n-g at the end and that's all one word dot com um i also have the same page on instagram and on facebook you can find me both there as well but also my main website is is the, is the domain.com so embodied soul awakening.com yeah fantastic david stone thank you so much for your time today it's been really interesting and uh, you will be appearing on the podca podcast very shortly and, and we'll be tagging you and um, so you can share it when it when it pops on there. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, Elaine. It's been great to chat with you and meet you.